you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins... I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. This story happened a few months after Hurricane Maria passed through Puerto Rico, leaving most of the island without power, water, and telephone systems. Thankfully, though, 911 was still reachable. During this time, I was living alone on the ground level of a small apartment complex in pretty much a rural area. I didn't have a power generator at the time, so most of my things were charged via solar panels. One night, I was suddenly woken up by just a blood-curdling scream from outside my window. I couldn't make out the words the person was saying, or rather screaming. I thought it was a person needing help, but I quickly discovered that it wasn't. At first, I heard the screams from afar, but then the screams became louder and louder until it reached one of my windows. And it was then when I discovered that it wasn't a cry for help. It was just complete gibberish. I saw a shadow of a man in the window thanks to the moonlight that night. It was a tall man and he began to tap on my window while screaming gibberish. Just again and again and I was scared. I quietly grabbed a knife from my kitchen and a flashlight which my left turned off and without making a sound I checked the window once more and he was still there just screaming gibberish. The neighborhood dogs began to howl in response and... It was honestly just horrifying. And after what I would describe as the longest 10 minutes of my life, the man left just screaming gibberish at the top of his lungs. I waited a while, but then I grabbed a cell phone, which I kept turned off for emergencies, and I called 911. After a few minutes, the police came, but they didn't manage to find the man. So, here I am just hoping that this guy will never return. This encounter was not too long ago and solidified in my mind why I'll always close the blinds at night and why, even in a quiet suburban neighborhood, you should always lock your door. I've been reading creepy stories online since I was about 12. When I first discovered Tumblr and Reddit, Creepypastas, Sixpence, No Sleep and of course Let's Not Meet. So I have long since taken to checking all windows and locks before I go to bed and closing blinds and curtains for fear that I might look out to see some creep in a clown costume with a knife in my garden or a child with their head at an unnatural angle or something. I must admit though that I always sort of wished that I had a creepy encounter so I could write about it. But if I never have another experience like this for the rest of my life, it would still be too soon. So context... This nice suburban neighborhood, as I say, is home of my parents. It's a little town in England, quiet street where we all know each other. Low crime rate except one house which has been heavily burgled twice in about 10 years, both opportunistic. Once because the keys were near the door and the invader smashed a small pane to reach them and let themselves in. The other time they'd left their blinds open overnight, leaving their laptops, wallets and both cars' car keys on full display. 
Anyway, I don't live with my parents anymore, but I was back in town and staying with them for a few days over summer. I was sat in the kitchen, which faces onto the street, and working on my laptop, just glancing up occasionally to watch people pass by, walking their dogs, or strolling with a pram. I'd seen something moving in the peripherals, so like every time, I looked up hoping to see a dog walker or one neighbor and her newborn grandson. But no, this time, two people, a man in a semi-casual suit and a woman in plain jeans and a blouse, but they were moving weirdly. The woman had her head craned over to one of her shoulders and her arm on that side was bent backwards and unnaturally too, upwards with her hand rhythmically flicking. Her other arm randomly but smoothly glided about, guided by her elbow. It was a bit like when you try and push two magnets together at the same point of polarity. That's how I'd describe it. I have friends with epilepsy though and I've never seen them contort or flick like that, not even in their myoclonic jerks. The man honestly looked more like one of those dancing inflatables you see at a used car dealership. That's the only way I could describe his movements. But anyway... They walked past my parents' house and I instinctively called to my cat to check he wasn't outside with those weirdos. I found him upstairs in my old room and he was looking out the window and as I followed his gaze, I see two of the kid neighbors in the double burgled house waving across to me, well to my cat anyway, but I waved back, all the same, from their parents' upstairs bedroom window. I went downstairs to tell my parents about the strange moving people and my dad just furrowed his brow, asked if they were gone and said to double check that the door was locked. I headed back to the kitchen to check our back door was locked. This door doesn't have any windows in it so you can understand that I jumped out of my skin when as I put my hand on the door handle, it was pushed down from someone on the other side. I pushed on the door immediately before anyone can push it from outside. I also must have screamed because I heard my dad call back. I hear his footsteps coming through the house and then I hear a loud gasp on the other side of the door and out of the kitchen window and guess who I see making a retreat. Yep, creepy moving dude and dudette. By the time my dad's made it through the house, they're gone. He doesn't seem to believe me, although he also doesn't seem doubting either. He's never seen them before and takes a free pop at me for being discriminatory against potential house guests with movement disorders. We make jokes like this though because I had a movement disorder as a kid and one time a parent wouldn't let me into her son's birthday party because they would be playing Simon Says and I made it difficult for the other kids. But I digress. Anyway, these people were gone and I don't sleep well at the best of times due to that movement disorder actually. And those scary stories that I read meant that I always listened to the excessive creaking in this house and noises on the street outdoors at night, like people walking home drunk and foxes mating and whatnot. And most of the sounds are quiet though, so imagine my shock when my straining ears are suddenly attacked by a child's scream. It takes me a second to locate the sound and another to lurch from my bed to the window, looking straight over to the upstairs window. The same one where, not even 12 hours ago, my neighbor's children were waving to me from. I scanned down the house and saw their front door wide open. I shouted to my parents, hoping to wake them up as I flew down the stairs in my PJs with 999 already dialed on my phone to report this likely home invasion before I do anything else. I'm remembering to scream fire, not burglar, as I stride across the road, attempting to wake other neighbors and gather support en masse. There are two kids and a teenager in that commonly burgled house, kids who I babysat for 10 years and one of them just screamed at 2am when their front door is wide open. I make sure to say this out loud to the emergency responder on the phone as well. As I near the door, I can see a figure inside moving frantically. So after telling the phone responder what's happening and answering their brief questions, I shout into the door from a safe distance some phrases that the police gave me to say. The police are on their way, the family's names are right outside and we're getting help, is anyone hurt? And to tell the intruders that we know you're there, please do not hurt anyone, the police can help you. I get a response from the upstairs window and step back into the road to see the mother holding all three kids in her arms. And she tells me the middle child, who's nine, found the intruders on the stairs when she went to get a drink. The girl tells me that they're like clowns. Clowns, I said? And this extra detail is the straw that broke the camel's back. And at this, my vision just darkens. I remember saying, crap, I'm going to pass out. 
and the last thing I hear is this little girl telling her mum that I said a bad word. I came to in the middle of the road with a foil blanket on and a soft octonauts toy under my head. I could see lots of blue lights, three police cars and an ambulance. That's one for me and I can see my neighbours out of the corner of my eye. My hearing returns as the little girl tells me that her little brother volunteered his toy because I hit my head when I fainted. Suddenly, I'm up though and I'm looking around to count all five of the family members and checking for an injury. And over the top of their heads, I can see an arm frantically waving in and out of view. And yep, it was the moving weirdos that had broken into my neighbor's house. I see the woman is standing still, her head still slumped to the side, just as she was lowered into a police car. I was later told that as I spoke to my neighbors out of their bedroom window, their dad had gone to fight the intruders and kicked the woman down the stairs as she was climbing them. The man was the frantically moving shadow that I had seen from the doorway. Police reckoned that they'd been trying doors down our street and found one unlocked. I told them about the couple trying our door earlier in the afternoon as well. I'm guided to the ambulance and I sat on the bed whilst the paramedics tend to a large cut on the back of my head from my fall. I vaguely feel them removing gravel, cleaning and gluing and dressing it, but I'm preoccupied watching two police try to contain the human dancing inflatable man. They can't catch both arms at the same time to cuff him, so eventually one policeman is cuffed to one of the man's hands and thus has his arm flung every which way as the man continues to move. I have no idea what they've been tried with, if they were on drugs or had a movement disorder. Me and my dad do have a small bet on this matter, or when the court hearing is yet, but as a key witness, I'll be told when they need me in court. But I would happily go the rest of my life without hearing a kid scream at 2am like that, and also without seeing those weird moving creeps. For some background, my great-grandma, who passed away in 2010, came from a family of Swiss immigrants who arrived in the US in the late 19th century. They owned a bunch of land in Idaho where they worked a dairy farm. This area is pretty rural and back then I imagine that it was even less populated so the story might seem all the more creepy through that lens. So I actually heard this secondhand from my grandpa. I don't know why my great-grandma never told me this herself because I would have loved to have asked her for more details. Based on her age, this would have happened in the early 1920s when she was around 7 or 10 years old. She and her sisters were in the car with their dad when he had to pull over for a minute and run in to grab something from one of the farm buildings. And they're out in the middle of nowhere, basically, with nothing but fields for miles. Not another person in sight, in fact. While my great-grandma and her sisters were waiting in the back seat, some kind of a huge, hairy creature just suddenly appeared out of nowhere and stared at them through the car window. According to my grandpa, my great-grandma said that this creature had a very human-like face, but clearly wasn't human. It was almost pitch black and had very mangled hair. There was something really off about its eyes and the fact too that it wore a long flowing white robe that was just out of place for the time period and even the location. She described its expression as curious and a bit confused but not exactly malicious though it obviously scared the crap out of them nonetheless. The girls screamed and cried until their father heard them and came running back to the car but by the time that he got there the thing had wandered off out of sight. And after that, I never saw it again. Now, my great-grandma was an extremely sweet, kind, but no-nonsense kind of lady. She wasn't really the superstitious type too, and she would always just kind of chuckle at my over-the-top obsession with Harry Potter. So, she wasn't the type to sort of make this story up. According to my grandpa, she attested to its truthfulness until her dying days as well, never once taking it back or denying it as some kind of a childhood prank on their father. I don't know what to think about this, but does anyone have any idea of what she and her sisters might have seen? My initial thought was a Bigfoot, but the white robe thing just kind of throws me off. I mean, I've never heard of a Bigfoot account where the creature was wearing clothes. Have you? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. In 2011, I was able to convince my grandparents to sign a waiver for me to enter into the Navy at the age of 17. Basic training went as well as it could have, but I was a fat kid and didn't pass the run, so I was sent back four weeks to do more training until the physical test came up again. This detail is important due to the butterfly effect. So when I finally finished and I had my orders of traveling to my A school, I ended up in Meridian, Mississippi, or basically nowhere. I was assigned to my class and I was taught a more specific guideline for my rate. There was somewhere between 15 or 20 people in my class. Not huge, but large enough to where people migrated between groups of three to five at a time, so you could mingle with different groups to get to know one another. The kid that I was when I started A school was very different. I was super shy, and so when I would bounce from group to group, I was more of a listener than someone who engaged with the group unless I was specifically asked things. It was in that first week when I would meet Katie. I introduced myself with a hello and she did the same and I had no idea that that would be enough to cause her obsession. So my base had a rec center, inside of it they had a PS4 gaming room, a movie room, an air hockey room and also a music room. Because I didn't have a car at the time and to get to what little town they had nearby was about $30 each way, I spent most of my time at the rec center or at the bowling alley that they also had at the base. Katie would also find me at one of those places and go on to talk to me endlessly about the things in her life. Maybe it was because I just wasn't rude to shut her down right away, but she felt very comfortable telling me things about her family and life growing up, but it was more so done to be heard than to converse about it. I think in the six weeks that I was there, I maybe said about 20 different words to her, and most of those words were of affirmation like, yeah, and I understand, and stuff like that. I was already pretty uncomfortable as it seemed like every time that I wasn't in my room, Katie was there to find me. Even as I started to get out of my own bubble and start to make some friends, Katie would just be there and try to take over conversations other people were having with me so that she could talk to me. I would go to my chief to express my concerns and she assured me that they would get to the bottom of it. My chief was and still is heavily involved in the SARP program in the Navy, so she has seen all kinds of mental issues come by. While my chief respected her privacy and didn't disclose what they had talked about, she did ask me if I was leading Katie on, to which I had to explain that I never expressed interest, but I also never told her to just get lost, as I wasn't raised that way. I don't know what magic my chief pulled, but she was able to get in contact with the person that would assign Katie's next duty station, along with mine, as we had similar rates and most people at the time were set to go to Japan. Katie ended up getting orders to Norfolk, Virginia, while I got orders to Camp Pendleton, California. Our classes had already ended by this point and so we had only been waiting for these orders for an additional week or so. 
as everyone talked about their different duty stations, they selected a few that weren't going to Japan and they stood out. There was Katie and I, a girl that was set to go to Italy and another that was set to Japan as well. But it was a completely different base compared to everyone else. So Katie found out that she wouldn't get to talk to me anymore. She tried really hard to get my number and she also said that she wanted me to take her virginity before she left. It was that too which was enough to me to finally say that I wasn't interested and that I was glad to be getting away from her. It's probably among the meanest things that I've ever said to someone but completely necessary in this context after weeks of obsession. But Katie did not want to accept that though and after she had been sent away she called the A school every single day trying to get a hold of both myself and my chief there as well. It was to the point where my chief asked to look through my phone to make sure I wasn't telling her one thing while still communicating with Katie. Eventually, our command LPO got in tact with Katie to get her to stop calling, and I was off to California after a short stop at home beforehand. At Camp Pendleton, especially the Naval Hospital, unless you're a corpsman, you stick out as pretty much the new. And because of this, Katie went as far as to call my new command to ask if I'd made it there yet, pretending to be a concerned family member. Being a teenager, I made the mistake of letting the world see what I was doing via Facebook, like changing my location status and sharing that information without my account being privated. I now know better, but I have a pretty unique last name, so with that info, Katie was able to see exactly which one I was and contacted my family members, as well as trying to tell them that she was a secret girlfriend of mine and wanted to know things about me. I'm not particularly close with my family, but they know enough that if I had someone special in my life, I would introduce them, and seeing as I had added many new friends that I made at A school and her not being one of them... Thankfully, their skepticism stopped them from divulging any more information about me. I had to send out an alert to my family to pass on to one another that she was actually a stalker and got them to block her. She had also started going after the chief that helped me break away from her, and this is what led me to keep in contact with that chief during my whole tenure in the military. And after just months and months of this, I had finally been able to move past Katie and... There wasn't anyone around any longer for her to get contact to to get to me. I would find out years later though through my chief that in one last bold move, Katie would make a false rape case in order to leave her command in the hopes of being transferred to mine. Of course what ended up happening is that she got booted out of the navy altogether. But to think that it all started over a hello and probably wouldn't have even happened to its degree had I just finished boot camp when I was originally supposed to just always gets under my skin. I haven't heard from her in years and he's hoping I continue that trend. Because when you have someone that obsessed with you, it's pretty scary, let me tell you. So today I went for a run like I always do and I typically go around 7.50 to 8 o'clock and I come back home at around 8.40 to 9 o'clock. Anyways, I run around my neighborhood and there's always this part of the neighborhood that is always super dark. As I got close to that dark area, I turn on my flashlight and for some reason I look across the street and I see a figure just sitting down in front of a house. I thought to myself that it could have been a Halloween decoration because the way it was sitting was just super stiff. I shine my light at the thing and I saw that it had no face and I turned on the strobe setting of my flashlight hoping for a reaction but nothing happened. This made me think that it was a prop because it just didn't move so I just continued my run. I always do two laps and on my second I arrived back at the dark place and saw that there was nothing there. And this made me really creeped out because that thing just didn't move a muscle when I shined the strobe at it. Anyways, I'm gonna run again tomorrow and if I see it again I'll try to snap a photo and I'll update you guys. So my husband, 36, and I, 28, live in a 100-year-old house that we've had some weird experiences in before. 
We just moved into the carriage house, but a year and a half ago we lived in the main house when this happened. So I had just gotten out of the shower and was lotioning and such when I looked out the door and saw my naked husband walk past me and into the bathroom. So I asked him to grab me something and then I heard him talking in the living room. So I wrapped a towel around me and ran into the living room to tell at him for pulling a prank on me like that. He then looked at me surprised because I had apparently been talking to him for the last few minutes standing behind him. It took me a few more days to actually believe that this wasn't a prank but it really freaked me out to my core. We had this brick that lights up and only when you touch it, sitting on top of a shelf in the living room. It routinely lit itself up when no one was touching it and sometimes we even heard voices and people walking at different times. And some nights in the middle of the night, a radio would just start playing music. It sounded like it came from the living room but we didn't even have a radio so what the hell was that noise? When I was 17, I joined a men's fitness group to help me get ready for the soccer season. The group was cool, but I was the youngest there. All the other men were much older, between the ages of 25 and 50. Most had families and jobs, and it was kind of uncomfortable at first, but eventually I saw a lot of them as mentors in my life, and they saw me as someone to be mentored. However, there was this one guy who just took it a little too far. I don't really recall his name, but I think it was Steve. Steve was around 45 and single, which was strange because all of the men were married except for the 25-year-old and me. Every time we worked out, he would gravitate towards me, ask me questions about my life that were really normal, I suppose, and we sort of were friends after a week or two. But he was just a really strange dude. He would say off-the-wall things all the time, and he spoke his mind, but most of the time they were just really mean things. I don't really remember exactly what he said because it was a while ago now, but he really started to creep me out and he started asking me to hang out with him alone a lot. He asked for my number because we were going to a race the next week, so I gave it to him, but then he just wouldn't stop calling and texting me. And when I wouldn't reply, he would get mad at me and say things like, I thought that we were friends. Again, this man is 30 years older than me and I'm 17. One thing that I do remember vividly though was that I was at my sister's house babysitting for her and the guy called me like five times at nine o'clock on a school night. I eventually picked up and talked to him for a bit and when I said that I couldn't go where he was, he asked for my sister's address and said that he was somehow in the neighborhood. This scared me because he was from another town completely and I never mentioned where my sister lives but he was apparently on the adjacent road now. I just told him no and then I hung up. I didn't go back to the group for a while because I thought the guy was stalking me or at least it seemed like it a lot. After a month I went back to the group and the guy had gone to a different town. I saw him again a few years later and he ignored me at first but then introduced himself like we had never met which was really weird. When I was 13, I was at my grandmother's house in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. I had brought along two friends, and we'll call them W and K. And that area has always been strange. It's located in miles of forest with a ton of deserted buildings and houses on a dead-end road, leading from an old 1830 cemetery as well. It was around fall, and I had just gotten back from the old swimming hole with my friends where we would catch goldfish and find salamanders although Kay was scared of them. It was already getting pretty late, and we extended the night by spending time with my grandparents around a campfire until around midnight. It really was a great night, though. I was able to roast a marshmallow to a golden brown perfection, and I've never had the patience to do so afterwards, but eventually, Grandma started to yawn, and my parents headed off to bed, so my friend and I made our way to where we were planning to sleep, an old camper out by the horse barn beyond the house on the edge of the woods. Now, the camper was crusty as hell. It was clear that nobody ever used it. There was mouse crap just littered through the shower floor in the bathroom and a light rain began to fall and it started leaking through the vents above before we could even close them. 
Luckily, it was a short and gentle rain and we all began to drift off to sleep at around 1am. But that was when I heard it. The pittering of feet where I was sleeping. I was in the pull-out bed that usually would come out over the bed of the truck. And my two friends were at the other end of the camper near the dining table which converted into two twin-sized beds. Now, for a 13-year-old boy, I was admittedly not a fan of mice. Maybe it's stupid, but at the time they just really freaked me out. I asked my friends if I could go lay down in the twins with them, and they protested, especially W, who was almost asleep, but finally allowed me to slip between them to escape this small mouse, but a more strange danger came later on. So once again, we're almost asleep, our eyes are heavy with exhaustion at around midnight, but then, my grandmother's horses in the nearby barn just began to go crazy, running and slamming into their doors, screaming. We were already a bit scared by this, but it got way worse. Because from outside, we hear this just strange noise. It sounded like a, a grunt, almost bearish, which would make sense that it would be a bear, since that was the season where the black bears are active. But... I'm 99% sure that this just wasn't a bear. A sensation of frozen fear washed over me. We whispered amongst ourselves, debating what to do next. We were just three scared little kids packed in like sardines, all alone in a camper, and I tried to text my mum from my old iPhone 4, but we didn't have service. And to make things worse, we were completely stranded. We all sat still and began to hold our breath, I mean, it was just a grunt, and surely whatever it was was gone now, right? Probably just a bear passing through. But no, we then felt the footsteps thump towards the locked door, and then the door jiggled. I prayed, and we all prayed, that the door just wouldn't come unlocked. Our little baby minds were going absolutely crazy. All three of us were crying because we didn't know what the hell was outside. And then... It got worse. There was sniffing at all the windows. This creature began to circle us and the sniffing elevated to rhythmic tapping on the glass panes, which certainly wasn't dripping water because the water was not hitting the side of the trailer. But then, for about 15 minutes, there was nothing. Whatever it was gave us a moment of downtime before grunting again and circling once again tapping on the windows. All of us were petrified in our beds, never looking outside. It shook the camper too near the door at one stage, and we were just terrified. The camper rocking lightly on its wheels, the suspension nicely swaying us back and forth. And then, that was it. We waited for hours, just waiting for it to come back, but it had stayed and circled us for around three to four hours, tapping and grunting, going away and coming back, because I honestly think that it wanted us. In the morning, we all dared each other to see who would be out first at the door. I took the fall, trying to prove that I was definitely not afraid of strange creatures or mice. And when I stepped outside, I found a singular deep claw mark across the door that definitely was not there before. We booked it back to the house, and we convinced my mum to let us leave that day, and I got my grandparents to confirm that the claw mark was definitely not there before. I even let the dog sniff around nearby, but... It was a dead end, and the horses were okay too, despite their insane behavior for three hours the night before. And so, we just packed up and we left. Six hours later, I'm home and my friends are at their homes. I crash out immediately because I got no sleep. And then, when I wake up, I have a missed call from my grandmother. She left a message, and she said that in front of the camper door, she had found a mutilated raccoon. It wasn't eaten, but was absolutely ripped to shreds. Usually, a predator will hide or store the prey and keep it together, but this was really odd. Now, Michigan has a bit of a reputation for a big Wendigo population. I have a few friends who have had encounters themselves, allegedly. Also, this was formerly Native American land where we were camping. Take that how you will but we had permission from the local Native Americans since my grandmother had joined them, and she was very knowledgeable about these things. I never brought the Wendigo thing up to her, though, because I'm pretty scared that it'll terrify her as well. 
When I'm with her, though, we always lock the windows and the doors these days, because there's definitely something strange out there, and it wasn't the only strange thing that I've seen on that land since being there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The afterlife, spirits, and the paranormal have always intrigued me. My husband and I love to watch basically anything paranormal related, and like anyone too who watches these types of shows, I did begin to wonder what was real and what staged. We always talked about wanting to go on some sort of a ghost hunt, but as for my husband, he's always been a bit of a skeptic. He's one of those I need to see it to believe it kind of people. So, for my husband's birthday in July, I bought us two tickets to a public investigation at a place called Hillview Manor, located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. It's a place known for its paranormal activity. The tickets that I bought included a tour of the building, and then after the tour, you are able to go off on your own to investigate as well. The time slot for this investigation is from 7pm until 4am. If you would like to read about the history on this place more, then you can also find them online at Haunted Hill View. Now, everyone thought that we were crazy for wanting to do this, especially overnight for nine hours, but it's just something that we've always been interested in experiencing on our own. So, we arrived at 6.30 and there were maybe three other small groups there to investigate as well. One of these groups takes this kind of thing very seriously and brought a ton of equipment. Here we were with our little backpack that had a few flashlights, a voice recorder, snacks, drinks, and extra batteries. We walked into the building nonetheless, and it just felt creepy right from the beginning. Maybe because we knew it was haunted, or because it just smelled musty and old from being unused for so many years. The building has no electricity, other than a few lights in the bathroom and the exit signs lighting the hallways. It's structural code for being able to have investigators and visitors in the building. But after all the investigators arrive, the people who work there give us a tour and backstory of the Hillview Manor and its most active rooms. This building has three floor. This building has three floors, really long hallways, and many, many rooms, as it was once used as a home for the elderly, poor, and the crazy. Not only were there suicides and murders here too, but also many other stories of the residents and activity throughout the property. During the tour though, my husband realized that he did not care for the third floor. He didn't really have a reason for it, he just didn't like the way it made him feel. With him being a skeptic, I found this quite amusing if I'm being honest. And I didn't witness anything out of the ordinary while we walked around with the tour guides. I asked my husband if he saw or felt anything, and he said that he would tell me after the tour. After we were finished with the walkthrough of the building, my husband pulled me aside and said that during the tour, he just kept feeling like something was touching him on his arm. It happened once in one of the rooms, and again in the chapel, and he said it almost felt like cobwebs rubbing his arm, but every time he went to grab it to pull it away, there was nothing there. This creeped him out a bit, obviously, but... After everyone regrouped in the front room, we were able to start investigating on our own. Now, we have never done anything like this before, so we just kind of walked off, just the two of us with a voice recorder, flashlights, and EMP in hand, acting like we knew what we were doing. We walked the halls and climbed the stairs to the third floor, the floor my husband really did not want to go back to, but I figured that we should just start there and get it over with while it was still light out. We didn't last long up there though because, like I said, my husband just did not care for it. After leaving the third floor, we visited other rooms and other portions of the building and tried to record a few sessions. We never experienced anything the entire time and I did a lot of talking. I was always respectful and just tried to say hello and talk with whatever may have wanted to communicate back. My husband didn't talk much and he finally admitted that he was kind of scared, which was amusing. 
As it started to get late though, we began to realize just how dark this building really was. It was kind of freaky and we usually aren't afraid of the dark, but when you're thrown into a setting that is supposed to have spirits and paranormal activity, you tend to panic a little bit. But to shorten this up, I'm going to fast forward through a little bit. Keep in mind though that during this time, we haven't experienced anything. So after we realized that we were too chicken to keep investigating on our own, we decided to find somebody else to tag along with. We found another group of two to team up with, and I mean, who doesn't feel safer in a group, right? This other team has done some paranormal investigations before, with this being the sixth one. And so we stuck together throughout the rest of the night, investigating mainly the first and the second floors. Around 11pm, we end up in the atrium on the first floor. This is where the residents would hang out, play the organ, checkers, or watch TV. We held up an EVP session for a while in there and decided to move on since we weren't getting much. At this point, I was getting kind of bored because I haven't seen, heard, or felt one damn thing all night. We walked out of the atrium and down the hallway. They call this area One North. From what I've read, and I'm not sure just how true this statement is, but it was the combative unit. During the tour, one of the guides admitted that she did not like this hallway, and the end of the hallway furthest away from the atrium especially. She said that she just gets a, a bad feeling there. It's a hallway with patient rooms and a nurse's station, and we stopped at the nurse's station to record for a little bit, but again, nothing. So we moved a little further down the hall past the station. We stayed in this area for a good 15 minutes or so with not much going on other than hearing slight shuffling at the end of the hallway towards the atrium. We laughed about it and said, of course now we're hearing stuff in the area that we just came from. And at this point, we turned off all the devices and got ready to move on. Mike, one of the others that we had met up with, needed to charge his cell phone so he knelt down to pull a portable charger out of his bag. And here is where things got real. So after no activity all night, I literally cannot believe what is about to happen to us. It is 11.30pm now and my husband and I are standing on the left side of the hall with Mike and Jenny on the right side. Think of it like a, a hospital hallway kind of. And while waiting for Mike to finish plugging his phone into his portable charger, we all begin hearing heavy footsteps starting near the nurse's station. These footsteps grew louder, heavier, and closer as this thing started running towards us. But not only that, the walls and the floor shook with every footstep that this thing took. It ran so fast and so hard down this hallway at us that before we knew it, it was between and through all of us. And just an immediate rush of electricity is the only way I can describe it, ran through my entire body. Screams of absolute fear escaped each and every one of us, and I've never heard my husband scream that way that he did that night. He's a tough guy, so to hear him get startled by anything was just crazy to me. I was backed into the wall of the hallway, my husband tripped over his feet and fell backwards, Jenny fell into the room behind her, and Mike stayed crouched down where he was still trying to plug in his phone. It all just happened so fast, but it was so real and so scary. It was at this stage too that my husband started yelling, okay, we're leaving, enough. We immediately ran to the office, which thankfully was not very far away. We walked through the office doors and I just completely lost it. I fell to my knees bawling and shaking and I was wearing my Apple Watch at the time and received a notification that my heart rate was way too high. I later checked this to see what the alert was for and in just two minutes, my heart rate jumped from 120 to 180 plus BPM. I knew that they had surveillance cameras and I told them that they needed to rewind the footage right now and show me what the hell that was. Unfortunately, we saw nothing at all on this video. All four of us experienced the same damn thing but how there was nothing visible on the video, I'll never know. It figures though that we all turned our devices off since we were getting ready to move on. How would anyone believe us without audio proof, right? If we heard it and felt it, the audio devices surely would have picked it up too. But it was just so forceful, almost like a train rushing between all of us. Whatever it was, I didn't get a good feeling from it. It elicited just so much fear from me. I don't know if it was because I was so scared from this thing running at us so quickly and unexpectedly in the dark, or maybe because it really was just a, a bad thing. 
After viewing the video and trying to calm myself down the best that I could though, I wanted to get away from this place pretty much ASAP. After my husband and I told the spirits that they did not have permission to come home with us, we left. Four hours before our scheduled time in fact. It was an hour and a half drive home. My adrenaline was so bad that I could hardly breathe. Luckily, my husband was well enough to drive and we got home and of course I just couldn't sleep. I was terrified and I just couldn't be in the dark at that stage and I was sick to my stomach to the point that I was heaving over the toilet all night. I couldn't eat or drink and I was gagging on everything that I tried to put into my mouth to eat. The next night I had a friend bring me some sage so that I could cleanse my house and myself too and my mind was just all over the place because my biggest fear was that something may have followed me home. Everyone assured me that if something was attached to me, my kids and dogs would know. I ended up not eating for four days and not sleeping. I felt sick to my stomach and depressed and I lost about 10 pounds in four days. I was scared to be alone and I begged my husband to stay home from work. My dogs would run down the hallway in our house and I would have some form of a PTSD episode or something. Because them running would remind me of the feeling of that spirit charging down the hallway through us feeling the footsteps in the walls and the floor and loud noises startled me too. I didn't want to be around my kids, my husband or anybody. I just wanted to kind of be left alone but with people around if that makes sense. My anxiety was so bad that I was willing to do anything to help me feel better. I even had people bringing me Valium which I ended up not using per my husband's requests and essential oils as well. Crystals in the water and I even thought about having the house blessed. I just didn't want to go on in life knowing what I knew now because it scared the absolute crap out of me. I honestly wish that I never found out just how real the paranormal really was. I wanted to go back to how I was before having this experience. I cried every day wishing that I could just feel like myself again and I began to wonder about what really happens after you die. If spirits were real and Who's to say that heaven, hell, God and the devil, aliens and UFOs for that matter, weren't real too? I would lay in bed wide awake all night, freaking myself out while listening to every creak of my settling home, mad at my husband for being able to sleep so soundly while I was unable to sleep until I felt safe enough after the sun came up. I did a lot of reading on the internet after this incident and I figured out that what I was suffering from was severe panic and anxiety due to trauma. Some people experience trauma after a car accident, a, a natural disaster, an intruder, but this was my trauma, a paranormal experience. Sounds crazy, right? I know, but would I have ever been able to go and talk to someone if I needed to, without sounding nuts, that is? Fast forward three months, though, and here I am, almost normal again, still afraid of the dark, I won't lie. I begin to panic if I'm left in a dark room for too long while I'm searching for a light switch, like I'm going to see or feel something or someone until I get the lights on. I'm finally and thankfully sleeping through the night. It took me a while to get where I am, but I'm very thankful that I'm healing with every day that passes. After this experience too, I totally respect the spirit world even more than I did before and I'll never barge into their space again like that. To this day, I still can't believe how bad the experience messed me up and how sick it made me afterwards as well. I am forever going to wonder why this spirit chose our group that night. Why was I the only one that felt the way that I did after this experience and who was it and what was their purpose? The people who worked there were really intrigued as well, saying nothing like that has ever happened in the many times people have visited and investigated there. And I would be curious to find out if... It ever happened again. So first of all, I want to preface this by saying that this was in the very early 90s and as we all know, it just was a very different world those days. And I was a pretty naive kid too. Also, I had kind of a messed up childhood, so this was not the worst of the things to happen by far, and therefore I pretty much just brushed it off. So when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I would visit the boys club a lot, which was pretty big back then, 
and my parents thought that sending me to the boys club camp for the summer only made sense. The camp was not an overnight deal, but featured all of the normal things that you would expect, like lake, arts and crafts area, crappy school-style lunches, and all of that. I did all the normal camp things too, like found a girlfriend and got into trouble. The camp was run by counsellors, which I can only assume were in their 20s to 30s. When you're 12, that seems pretty old. And, as you would expect, they would come up with some pretty interesting punishments for kids, like being forced to carry a huge wooden totem pole in circles in a hot field for some time. I never actually had this punishment, but I remember one of the older kids doing it. Or just straight up punching you in the chest and knocking the wind out of you, which I did experience. One of the counsellors that I had this experience with was named TJ, and he was a very large, well-built guy in his 20s. Now one day, I did something wrong and I got sent to the lunch area for essentially detention. The area was actually a large concrete floor with a wooden roof attached to a cabin that contained the kitchen. It was basically a school lunch setup area where you would come up and choose chocolate milk or orange juice and get served a crappy turkey sandwich, a pack of mayo and one of those amazing brownies. When I get there, I notice that there are about four or five kids already sitting at the benches and TJ is in the front of everyone by the lunch serving area pacing and saying something. I sit down and I don't really remember what happened until things started to get weird. TJ pulled out a knife and got an apple. He started skinning and stabbing it saying stuff like this is what I'll do to you if you get in trouble again and other things of that nature. At this time I honestly did not feel scared in any way due to my tendency to completely shut down when crap gets bad, but I did remember feeling creeped out and that he was trying really hard to be threatening. The younger kids, especially a little girl who was maybe eight or so, was really freaking out and crying. The next thing that I remember is him telling her to follow him into the kitchen. I then heard lots of screaming and crying coming from the back of the kitchen and after a while he came back with her and her face was streamed with tears and... I remember it vividly. He then looked at me and another boy and told us to follow him as he escorted us to a huge walk-in refrigerator and brought us inside. Then he said, I want you both to start screaming and acting like I'm going to kill you in here. If you don't make the other kids scared, I'll kill you for real. We did as he asked us to and when he closed the door, we started screaming and wailing at the top of our lungs. At this point, I honestly thought that it was kind of funny because I rationalized that the little girl was told the same thing. Anyways, after five or maybe ten minutes, he let us out and told us to go back to our benches. Again, I don't remember anything after this, just kind of blank, but I remember when I got home that night from camp telling my mum about it and I remember she called somebody and I think the guy got fired. I don't remember ever seeing him again and my parents never sent me back and I never really thought about it much growing up. But as the years have gone by and I look back to the things that I shrugged off as normal, I can see now that they were anything but that. When I was 13, I lived with my mum in one of two dilapidated apartments above a skate shop in an otherwise hoity-toity Canadian ski town. My mother is a lovely person, but she was deeply depressed following the divorce. She was and is largely uneducated because her parents, devout Jehovah's Witnesses, thought the world would end in the 1980s and didn't see the point in her completing much schooling. All this is to say that when this story takes place, she was working part-time for minimum wage in a grocery store and well, we weren't really doing well. We got most of our food from food banks, second-hand clothes from other JWs, furniture from the garbage, and all we could afford to live in was this terrible apartment. And when I say terrible, I mean terrible. All of the floors were crooked enough to feel the incline. There was a balcony in the back, but we were warned not to use it at our own risk, as it had never been maintained, basically. We only used it in the summer after I got heatstroke. Fans by the windows weren't enough to cool the place down when temperatures hit the 30s. Celsius, that is. And yes, it does get hot in Canada sometimes. And there was also a bright green monster crudely painted on the entirety of the bathroom door. I took out my craft paints and I gave it lipstick, pearls and a purple dress, trying to make mum laugh one day. 
We had separate beds, but shared the one bedroom. It may not sound too bad, but it was rickety and really damp, and you could hear music blaring from the store below pretty much all day. Our bedroom was at the back of the apartment, the front and the only door that led directly into the kitchen, where we also kept a shoe rack and a coat stand. The right of the kitchen was the bathroom. Past the kitchen was our bedroom, with the living room on the right and in front of the bathroom. So, the second apartment mirrored ours. I didn't pay much attention to the man living there at first, but from what I can remember, he was in his 40s, big bearded and didn't look friendly. And that impression was very much confirmed one summer night. So every once in a while, his teenage daughter would visit. They tended to argue and mum would usually tuck me into the bedroom with earplugs when the daughter was there. But that night was different. Our windows were open due to the heat, as were theirs, and even I clearly heard their argument devolve into something much worse. I'll spare you the transcript, but my heart goes out to that girl, wherever she may be. Mum jumped on the phone and the local police arrived quickly, but it felt like an eternity, still hearing the beating and the cries. They took the neighbour away and informed us that he had several outstanding warrants and wouldn't be back for some time. Relieved, we just went on with our lives at this point. Church, the hell that was school for me at that point, food bank, garbage, church. I don't remember much from that year, if I'm honest, but it was basically the same as any other year. But months later... The neighbor returned. I don't remember if we saw him or just heard him going about his former routine next door. I just remember knowing that he was back. And it must have been more than a week later when he actually broke in. I remember a noise, sitting up, a tall silhouette at the end of my bed, heavy breathing, mum jumping out of her bed screaming, swearing. She never swore as well. Mum grabbing one of her favourite heels, fortuitously lying nearby, going after him with the pointy end. She kept screaming and hitting and pushing until he was out the door. We were both crying and looking around in a bit of a daze. Nothing seemed out of place apart from the candle that usually sat on a small table between our bedroom and the living room. It was on the floor now and we were both convinced that the sound of it falling was what woke us up. We hurried into the kitchen to tuck a chair under the doorknob. Still unsure whether he had simply forgotten to lock up, very improbable, or whether the neighbor had actually picked the lock. It was at that moment too that I realized that my feet were wet. And why were my feet wet? Mum was already on the phone with the police and I tucked one leg up and looked at my sock, soaked, and I looked around and my eyes fell on the shoe rack. Because... It was covered in piss, as was the area around it. I shook mum's arm and motioned at the mess. I heard her tell the operator that he also peed in our kitchen. I heard the operator laugh at this and I was scared and now I felt ashamed as well. The police came up to pick up the neighbour once more and that was the last that we saw of him as we moved not long afterwards. It's been 14 years and nine of them on my own and I'm still very, very wary of my safety at home. My current apartment boasts locks, chains, bolts, and even fancy magnetic doorstops. I still recall that night that he broke in, and it will be with me for the rest of my life. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now... All you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.